for a moment. If you have your Bible, take it and turn together with me to Matthew chapter 16. As we look again at the transfiguration of our Lord, beginning in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, we'll read through, we'll read through verse 9 this morning. Hear now the inerrant and infallible word of the living Lord. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and and John, His brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. My soul longs for your salvation. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, as we sit down now to uh, sup, as it were, upon Your Word, Lord, we ask that You would help us in the digestion of this food. We recognize that apart from the work of Your Holy Spirit, Your Word to us is like eating rocks. It's hard. It breaks our teeth and there is no pleasure in it. Lord, so we pray for the work of Your Holy Spirit that You would allow us to digest the food that You have, that we would take it in, that we would delight in the taste of it, that it would affect our heart and our mind, that we would be empowered by Your Spirit to go out from here and live these words as we love our King and live in communion with the triune Godhead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, This... This, this week, uh, Maggie and I were driving to, uh, to Jackson, and I had one of those random thoughts, and I was thinking, well, why do, they call, why do they call movie previews trailers? And so she, as my research assistant, looked it up on her phone, and we found that they're called trailers. Some of you may know this because uh, in the olden days, and I'm saying that on purpose in case some of you lived through this But in the olden days, they would show the previews at the end of the movie. You watch the movie first, and then you stick around to see the movies that are coming up. And so they were called trailers because they came came after. But for us, we've learned to time when we get to the movie theater so we don't have to sit through that hour and a half of of previews that we don't really want to see. and I bring that to your attention because when we're reading the Transfiguration, it's, it's like sitting 
in the theater and getting a preview. Jesus hand-selected three of his apostles, and he took them to the top of this mountain, which we've said is Mount Hermon, and that was significant. And he takes them to the top of Mount Hermon, and they get a preview. Well, what are they previewing? They are previewing, as we read in Matthew 16, 28, they are previewing the Son of Man coming into His kingdom. And remember, this is Daniel 7. This is one like the Son of Man ascending up to the Ancient of Days where He is given power and authority and a kingdom that will last forever and ever and it will wipe out every other kingdom. His kingdom will prevail. This is what Jesus said to His disciples earlier. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, we are going to batter down the gates. We're going to batter them down. And as we come this morning to verses 4 through 9, we, we're getting into the apostles' response, and, if, and Peter's going to respond because, of course, he does. And we find that they react to Christ, and then the Father will speak, and then the Son, the Son will speak to them as well. And remember, this is all about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. How do we anticipate it? How do we think about it now? Because even for the, for the apostles, this was a, a preview. This is something that, that was yet to come after the resurrection. But for you and me, it isn't a preview. It's a present reality. It's a present reality that Christ is seated on His throne in Zion. And so what verses 4-9 through nine teach us then as we think about this transfiguration, what they teach us is that those who dwell in Christ's kingdom do three things. They perceive His glory, they give Him reverent obedience, and they receive His comfort. Those who dwell in Christ's kingdom perceive His glory, they give Him reverent obedience, and they receive His comfort. Notice, first of all, that uh, those that live in Christ's kingdom perceive Christ's glory. Re- remember, and, and this, is, this is something to take in, that, that you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, represent the kingdom of Christ. Not as a future reality, but as a present reality. Now, has it come in its fullness? No, because you and I still wrestle with sin. So we await the consummation of Christ's kingdom. But what he came preaching was in Mark 1.15. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we recognize that Christ's kingdom is a present reality and a growing reality. And so it has citizens, doesn't it? One of the things that we confess is that by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are transferred out of one kingdom into another one. We are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so what we learn from the transfiguration first is that those who live in Christ's kingdom perceive His glory. Notice with me verse 4 what happens to Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And you could take that as though Peter is saying, it's, I'm glad I'm here. Or he could be saying, 
it's a good thing we're here because somebody needs to build some tents. Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Um, Mark is helpful. And, and, and Mark is helpful, remember, because Mark's gospel is probably a recounting of all the things that Peter told him. They were personal friends. Mark sat under Peter's teaching. And so Mark adds in his gospel that Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. The disciples were gripped by fear. In fact, when the voice comes from the clouds in verse 6, the disciples heard it and they fell on their faces because they were filled with fear. They were terrified. Now, this, never stopped. this didn't stop Peter from saying anything. He didn't know what to say, but he still spoke, as many of us do anyway. But this vision terrified the disciples. It gripped the disciples so much so that Peter's only suggestion was, Lord, do you want me to build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? Why did Peter say that? What, what did he mean? Well, I'll suggest to you that what Peter means is, we want to stay. We, we, want to, we want to set this reality in concrete. Now, you're thinking back and you say, all right, fella, don't you remember? Jesus just told you. He just told you, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer many things at the hands of the, the high priests and the scribes and the Son of Man. I have to be crucified. I have to be killed. And I have to rise again on the third day. He just told you that. Peter's already forgotten. And he says, Lord, we want to make this a permanent reality. And so the first thing that we learn from Peter is in this experience, when he sees Christ in his resurrected and ascended glory, in this preview, he says, this is where I want to stay. Matthew Henry notes here, he says, those that by faith behold the beauty of the Lord in his house cannot but desire to dwell there all the days of their life. You think about the psalmist. Turn over to Psalm chapter 27. We sometimes use this as a prayer on Sunday nights. David, David is reflecting on his love for the Lord. And in verse 1 he wrote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though wars war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And then verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. You see, David had a vision 
of the beauty of Christ. And what gives evidence of him having been captured by that vision is he yearned for the presence of Christ. Like Peter, he wanted to stay there all day, every day, and listen to him. The medieval saints would talk about the beatific vision, the beautiful vision of, of beholding Christ. This is what awaits you and me. And the moment that you close your eyes in death, you have the beatific vision. You will see the resurrected and the ascended Christ sitting in His flesh on His throne. Light shining from Him, robes arrayed in glory, the scent of aloes and myrrh radiating from Him. Peter is saying that he would have relinquished, think of this, he would have relinquished all of his worldly achievements to remain on the mountain with Christ in a tent. This is how we know that we've perceived Christ by faith. When you see His beauty, and when everything else in your life fades in comparison to Christ, there's a program on TV called Shark Tank, and people come in and they, they talk about their business. They've developed some sticky thing that holds your soap on the wall, and everybody needs one. And what they're asking is for somebody to give them money, and they're gonna, they will sell part of the control of their business to this individual uh, in exchange for an investment. What would Peter have taken in exchange for this moment? Absolutely nothing. Peter would not have taken anything in exchange for knowing Christ and dwelling in His presence. And so you and I, when we perceive the loveliness of Christ, what do we do? We delight to dwell in His presence. And look around. Here is a taste being with His people, gathered with His people, listening to His Word, singing His praises. We live in His Word and commune in prayer. We rejoice to gather with His saints and we have an anticipation of going home. Do you anticipate going home? I hope you do. I hope you cultivate an anticipation of dying and being with the Lord. What a glorious reunion. Those that live in Christ's kingdom perceive His glory. Secondly, those that live in Christ's kingdom give reverent obedience to Him. And so we're thinking now about the present. How do I apply the reality of Christ's kingdom in my day-to-day life? How, how does it have a bearing on who I am and what I'm doing? And secondly, we find that those who live in Christ's kingdom give reverent obedience to Him. And notice what happens in verse 5 as we go back to Matthew chapter 17. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Notice that here is Christ, the incarnate Son of God, 
And suddenly, as Peter's talking, he's stumbling over himself, trying to decide what to say. Lord, um, I don't know what to say, so I'm just, I'll blurt something out. How about if I build some tents? And suddenly, this, this cloud, this bright cloud overshadows them. And immediately, you're familiar with the, the, your Older Testament, and you've read, and you know what this is. This is the Shekinah glory of God descending here upon this mountain. Can you you imagine what this was like? Here is Christ in His resplendent glory, face shining brighter than the sun, clothes so radiant that Mark says a fuller couldn't have gotten them this white. And here is this light that over this cloud of light that overshadows these men. And there's a voice that comes out of it. What's happening? This is, this is the, the representation of the triune Godhead descending upon that mountain with these men. Can this get any better? In the Older Testament, God was represented sometimes as a cloud of darkness. And here with Christ the Son, He is represented as a cloud of light. But we need to listen to the voice, don't we? What does He say? A couple of things. He says to them, this is My beloved Son. Now remember that God the Father had already said this. Has already said this at Jesus' baptism. When the the sky is torn open, And the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. And so whenever you have this repetition, what does it mean? Just like Pharaoh's dreams. Why do we have the the gaunt calves and the the fat calves? Why do we have the the skinny corn and the big corn? Why do I have two, two dreams? Because the duplication sets it in stone. And so here it is, the word of the living God about the incarnate Christ saying, this is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. Why is that important? Why do you care if God is pleased with the Son? What he's saying is, I accept Him. His obedience is perfect. He could not have said that about Moses. He could not have said that about Elijah. Certainly not Moses. This is my beloved son. And it is as though we are taken back to the very opening pages of Scripture where God sees everything that He's done and He says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is very good. And He looks at the work of His Son and He says, I'm pleased with Him. I'm happy. I'm happy with the life that He has offered to me. The obedience He has, the the, um, obedience that He's offered to me, I accept. I find nothing in Him wrong. He is the Son of God. Moses and Elijah were servants in God's house, remember? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 remind us that Moses was a servant in the house, but what is Christ? He's a son 
over the house. Not, now remember, not two different houses. It's one house, one body of Christ, one people of God in which Moses was a servant, but Christ is the Son. He comes with greater authority, greater insight, greater revelation for God's people. And notice what God says to them next. What are they to do? Listen to him. What, what do I do? I, I perceive the glory of Christ. What do I do with him? Listen to him. Listen. Um, God had promised His people in Deuteronomy 18 that He would raise up a prophet like Moses from among their brothers. And they were to listen to Him. Not anybody else. Listen to Him. Um, One of our elders, Chris Bird, is currently preparing to, to be licensed by Grace Presbyterian, the PCA, so I encourage you to pray for him. Because in that process, there are some rigorous exams that take place. You, you have to go through a theology exam and a view, exam on your views and an exam on how well you know the Bible, um, exam on how well you know church government. And you, can th- you think about that and it's like, man, that's really, that's really a lot to go through. Um, and, and every officer is examined And I would just encourage you to think about it this way. What those exams seek to prove is whether a man in his life is listening to Jesus so that he does not presume to speak for Christ before he has learned to listen to Him. How do I listen to Him? Well, remember Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 16, we have the mind of Christ. Look in your lap if you brought your Bible. If you didn't, don't look in your lap. There you have the mind of Christ. Do you want to know what he thinks? Then read it. You, you see, and, and it sounds so pedantic, doesn't it? Because you hear from Christian pastors all the time, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Well, what if we put it this way? Listen to your Lord. If you're a citizen of the kingdom, don't don't you want to make sure that you're doing the things that your king calls you to do? And how do you know if you're not daily communing with him in his word? God's will is that you honor Christ, his son. And it is his will that you honor Christ by obeying him. Again, Matthew Henry, so helpful. Whoever would know the mind of God must hearken to Jesus Christ, for by him God has in these last days spoken to us. Not by any other prophet, not by Joseph Smith do we have these words, not by Muhammad, not by some angel. Remember Paul said, even if some angel comes and speaks to you, you compare it to the word. And if he doesn't agree with what Christ has revealed to you in his word, let him be damned. Those that live in Christ's kingdom behold 
the beauty of Christ and they give him reverent obedience. And then thirdly, those that live in Christ's kingdom receive Christ's comfort. Notice this, man, what a picture. Notice what happens next. The disciples in verse six fell on their faces. They were absolutely terrified. Notice what happens in verse seven. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. We notice lastly here, Jesus' comfort and Jesus' admonition. Do you see Jesus' tender love? Think, Think just for a second about what's happening here. Jesus could simply have stood there and said, get up. Or we could have a repeat of the scene in the boat when he said, why are you still cowards? Get up. Where is your faith? But here Jesus comes over, remember, as a demonstration of his kingdom and what it's like And he reaches down to these men and he touches them. And there in that moment, he says, rise, do not be afraid. After God has said to them, listen to my son, the very first command that they hear is rise, don't be afraid. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1. Verse 17, John, who had this vision of the transfiguration, now relates the vision of Revelation. When I saw him, that is Christ, in, in his ascended glory, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, the hand of, of favor, of blessing, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Imagine with me for a moment that you you are a citizen of the kingdom and you, you do have a sincere love for Christ. It's demonstrated in your sincere pursuit of obedience to Him. You you spend time in His Word because you want to listen to Him. You want to be a Mary, not a Martha. Here, here is what is demonstrated to you that, that the moment that you die and your soul is separated from your body and you enter into the presence of Christ, what you can expect is the outreach of His right hand laid upon you saying, don't be afraid. In Christ, the first act of Christian obedience is to put aside fear and to grow in boldness toward God and men. You see that? Rise. Don't be afraid. 
And if you don't have to be afraid in the presence of the living God, who, as John exhibits, I fell at his feet like I, as though dead. I should be dead. To be in your presence, I should die. But Christ lays his hand on him and he says, don't be afraid. Christ's will for you is that you grow in your boldness toward God and toward men. Don't be afraid. Remember, the author of the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, he says, how do I enter into the presence of God now? Right now, as a citizen of the kingdom, I go with confidence, not in myself. I am emptied of all vain confidence. I have no confidence in myself because I know that I come loaded with sin. But as soon as I enter through the flesh of Christ, that entire burden is scraped away and I enter into the presence of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And I go there with the intimacy of fellowship that Jesus himself has in your prayer closet. He is as close to you as a brother because of Christ. Don't be afraid. We learn that our assurance comes from Christ. It's not for me repeating a mantra to myself, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. It is received from Christ. God said of His Son, He called Christ my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know that these words belong to everyone who is united to Christ by faith? If you are in union with Christ by faith, He says of you, my child in whom I am well pleased. Apart from Christ, we only expect, depart from me, I never knew you. In Christ, we expect welcome to your rest, my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. We always acknowledge that God's pleasure in us is only due to His pleasure in Christ. In verse 9, there is an admonition, and this won't take you by surprise because this is not the first time Jesus has said this. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You know why He said that. Just as he told them before, he said that because they were not ready, knowledge-wise, to serve as his apostles to the world. And again, we go back to this very fact. You are not ready to proclaim Christ to the world until you have learned to sit at his feet and learn from him. That's what he's saying to the apostles. That's why he's telling them to be quiet and wait till after the resurrection. By faith, Christians perceive the loveliness of Christ, His glory. Dwelling in His kingdom, they, we reverently obey Him and receive His comfort. This transfiguration demonstrates the majesty and power of Christ within His kingdom. It also shows us what Christ's ascension means for us. We perceive His beauty. We give Him reverent obedience. We listen to Him in His word. And in doing that, we receive his comfort. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we marvel that you would do this for us. 
and we praise you for it. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, perhaps some under conviction, perhaps some have received comfort anew. We pray and ask that you would help us, Lord, to see the beauty of Christ more clearly. How do we do that? By listening to him and spending time in your word as an act of love to our Lord and King. And we ask that you would cause that to bear fruit in our lives, especially that the fruit which comes forth would be comfort, boldness in our prayers, boldness in our proclamation toward God and toward men. We praise you, O Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen.